because I chose a sport that you're on a bike and, and running for 12 hours, it forced me to understand nutrition way, way more than anybody else. for tapping on this episode. This is your host Kushi Khare and you are listening to The Women's Stories, the only Indian podcast where I bring extraordinary stories of unconventional business women. Do you want to know what goes behind ridiculously delicious nari bars and launching them in the entire United States of America and Canada? Today, I have a proud mom former marketing CPJ executive and now an entrepreneur. Susie York is the founder of Love Good Fats. She is the winner of 2020 RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur and also the winner of 2019 Top 100 Most Powerful Women. Susie spent last three years of her career researching nutrition and uncovering misinformation about sugars and fats. This led her to create a delicious line of snacks so that people can eat and enjoy good fats on the go. Love Good Fats is a disruptive food startup, a new family of very low sugar keto snacks that are ridiculously delicious, creamy, melt in your mouth bars, loaded with good fats and only have 1 to 2 grams of sugar. They are gluten free, soy free, non GMO, no preservatives or artificial anything really. I'm super excited to have. Miss Susie on this episode of the Women's Stories and we would be unwinding the real information of launching a successful e-commerce business especially in the nutrition and food space. So let's dive into the conversation and know Susie a little bit more. So, uh, could you please break certain myths around keto-friendly food selection, how customers can identify genuine food products in the market that claims to be keto-friendly? Well, thanks, Kushi. That's a, a great question. So our, our, our bars were initially designed in 2017 to simply be low-carb bars. Um, and then we realized that the whole movement of keto um, that's been around for 70 years, I was coming back with a fury. Um, our bars happen to be keto friendly. What's really, really important for a product to be keto friendly is three things. There has to be lots of good fats in them. Uh, from a keto perspective, you know, 50 to 80% should be uh, up your, up your um, meal consumption uh, should be good fats. So each individual product should be able to contribute. So the bar, the snack should be something that you can take. And if you don't want to get kicked out of ketosis, you need one. Uh, lots of good fats. So a lot of bars and foods don't have good fats. Number two, the net carbs is really important. If you have a small meal, uh, total net carbs for the day should not be more than 25. And um, if you have a meal that has more than four or five grams or a snack of more five grams, four to five of net carbs per snack or meal, you're most likely going to get uh, um, uh, moved out of ketosis. And you also want to be absolutely sure that your sugar is not more than 25 grams a day also, um, just even though it's, it's a carb. So I think you kind of really want to look for products that uh, will have good fats. Protein needs to be moderate. If you have 20 grams of protein, it's probably too much. Your liver won't recognize and will convert it to sugar. Very low sugar and very low net carbs. Um, there's a lot of 
so those are kind of the essentials. There are some products that can have less good ingredients. Uh, certain sugar alcohols aren't great, like maltitol. They could have, you know, artificial sweeteners. Um, those per se, uh, there's not, you know, consensus as to how much those will kick you out of ketosis. But generally speaking, you shouldn't be consuming just those, those non-natural and clean ingredients. So trying to stick to the clean ingredients that meet those macros is the way to go. Yeah, great. So like uh, we do have certain agencies that certifies that pr product is keto friendly on, like in your case, uh, you like it is verified it is keto friendly, but still there are chances yeah. of maybe, you know, that kind of like scam or fraud. So how customers could be sure that if a product is actually keto friendly? Well, sure, Kushi, there's a, there are certification groups. And unfortunately with the popularity of keto, you know, there's a lot of new certification groups and there's informal certification. So I think it's really up to the, the users, the consumers to, to really just, you know, you take the box mm -hmm. and you look at the ingredients and you really check, you know, is there, is there like enough fats? Is, are the net carbs below four to five? So that's, you know, your carbs minus your uh, sugar alcohols or your uh, fiber. So that should add up to four to five maximum. And then, okay, there's a bit of protein that's good. And then you just read the ingredients and you make sure there's nothing artificial and that's not kind of really good. So it's really, you know, and then in our case, you have the logo. Mm -hmm. um, it yeah. does help when there's the logo. But unfortunately, you know, I've seen even here in, in Canada on the shelves where some products are being called keto and they have seven grams of sugar. And I'm like, how is that possible, right? Like you can't have seven grams of sugar in one portion yeah. and be called keto. But it, it, unfortunately, it's happening. So we all have to be diligent. Yeah, so yeah, customers uh, yeah. need to do their own research and then yep. select the right product. Yep. Right. So uh, I know that you are focused on providing a quick, healthy, good fat-filled snack to especially to people in Canada and North America. Obesity problem in America. So according to you, what uh, is the root cause and how could uh, the young generation especially could uh, deal with it smartly? Sorry to interrupt you in between, but it will be very kind of you if you could take just a second to subscribe or follow the women's stories from whichever platform you are listening to the episode now. The root cause of the obesity, according to most of the experts that have looked at the last 50 years, will say that... Um, the, the food guide recommended a diet high in carb, um, lots of, you know, uh, lots of recommended carbohydrates and sugars and including fruits and all that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and consumers have followed the food guide, like on average, Americans have followed the food guide and that we've just seen a pattern of more and more obesity issues. In addition to that, fast food and food companies have launched uh, 600,000 products in the 80s and 90s that were low fat and or full of trans fats or artificial uh, in ingredients. Mm -hmm. So we kind of took out a lot of natural good products, you know, eggs and mayonnaise and uh, uh, cheeses, because we had this misinformation that fats were bad. Mm -hmm. And said to everybody, including my parents and my home uh, back then, you know, remove all of these fats, instead buy these processed vegetable oils, mm -hmm. trans fats, low fat product that are loaded with carbs and sugar. 
and everybody converted over to you know bad processed stuff and really about six seven years ago is when the book the big fat surprise by nina teicholz was written and and we looked at the research and there was really just one piece of research in the 60s by ansel keys it was the seven uh the the seven population study it was a diary study post-war uh limited you know some some key cities uh were excluded unfortunately countries were excluded like france and it basically said, you know, um, fats contribute to cholesterol, cholesterol contributes to cardiovascular disease. And that was very flawed conclusions. The root cause was sugar, but it was just misanalyzed. And there was no studies really since. So in the 90s and the year 2000, there's been meta studies that have revisited um, the low carb versus uh, low fat uh, research to confirm that there's, you know, there's no science that says double double clinical that says low fat um, contributes to, to improve cardiovascular, but there's a lot of science that's now showing, and there's over a hundred clinicals that is now showing that uh, keto or low carb diets are uh, look are are either confirming um, a reduction or reversal in diabetes and preclinicals on inflammation and cancer and Alzheimer's. So the science has evolved a lot. Mm-hmm. Consumers are just trying to eat what they're told to eat and what's on the shelves. And now we're just trying to, to fix the misinformation. Yeah, both of your answers really tell, emphasize on the importance of researching as a consumer, as yep. a customer. Yeah. It's very, very confusing though. You know, I followed a low fat diet for 20 years. Um, a lot of people follow different diets, you know, avoided certain foods. And there's no necessarily one diet fits all. So, uh, I would request you to guide our audience with a quick roadmap for launching uh, an e-commerce business with your experience. Okay, so I, I launched Love Good Fats, uh, my company in 2017, and we launched it both on an e-commerce platform, uh, Shopify in our case, um, and, uh, and in stores. I'm more of a in-store retail expert. We have about 75% of our business is in store. However, you know, we, we are doing well in e-commerce and um, for food, the brand, if you're in North America, you really do benefit from a retail presence. Mm-hmm. So there are some successful e-com brands that are just e-com, but if you, if you want to grow your brand as large as possible, you really want both channels. Um, from an econ perspective, though, uh, it's a great place to start when you're when you're small and you don't want to spend a lot of, uh, of money because you want to learn. You just need to get a good uh, uh, platform uh, on the transaction. So Shopify and there's many others. They're very low cost. They're super easy to use. Um, and, you know, the first thing you do is you map out your website and you just make sure that the user experience is as simple as possible. You explain your brand. So the brand positioning, you present your brand in a way that consumers will understand what's unique or better or different about your brand. You present the, the way, you know, the options, the flavors or whatnot, and then you make it really easy for the consumer to, to, to exit out and, 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 uh, and pay and exit out. And then you capture their email and then you build a relationship with them on email. Um, it's really hard when you're small, because if you just put your, your website online, no one will go to it. So you have to get awareness. So first step is get the website and then make sure that you can fulfill the product. When you're really small, you can actually fulfill the product from home. Like, you know, I would get Shopify orders, you download the orders, you look at the address, 
you pick the boxes. Oh, they want two boxes. You go to the post office. You, you know, we had a little app. You upload the little app that generates the mailing labels. You print them. You walk over to the post office or they come and pick up from your home. And you can just manage the business from your home. And many, 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 many startups do that. If your product needs to be refrigerated because it's a food product, then uh, that gets a little bit tricky. So then you buy ice packs and you put ice packs in the box and you load them up. So, you know, and you, most companies start like that. Then you have to spend a little bit of money because in, in the, in the funnel, you have to get awareness, like top, top, uh, top of the funnel awareness. So then you're the best place to start in North America still is with Facebook and Instagram and traditional ads. And then of course, billboard ads and TV ads and all that. But if you're only selling online right now, the ROI seems to still be, you know, Facebook and Amazon ads. And you just start, you know, you start with a hundred dollars. You, you go on your Facebook account, you create your business account. That's super easy. You click the buttons to say yes on Instagram. And then you take your product and you kind of say, Hey, I'm Susie. These are my new love, good, fast bars. Really delicious. You eat them. Um, try some today. Buy now. You spend a hundred dollars to either boost your ad, your little video, or, uh, or you can do video, you learn your way, you can do ads, you know, now on TikTok, you can do that on Instacart, but you just start with a tiny little bit of advertising on digital to bring people to your website. I feel like you were an incredible marketeer by profession before you started your entrepreneurial journey. With your experience, what are some of the evergreen marketing trends especially for an e-commerce business? Evergreen trends for sure would be from an e-commerce perspective to have promotions. You know, to, you, you definitely uh, don't want to uh, not try to break through the clutter once a month, once every two months with some exciting news. So um, you got to do, you have to manage that so you don't do too many or too few and you don't go too deep discount, but you definitely, you know, promotions have been around for 50 years and, and they'll keep being around for another 50. The other thing is innovation. I mean, there's nothing that sells more like something that's new, uh, continuing to have new products on uh, and expanding that is, is really, really key. And I think, you know, from a B2C, new products and promotions are the two big drivers. When you kind of hit a plateau in terms of your brand's not growing, you have to get more top of the funnel. So to get more top of the funnel, you might have to invest more, you know, not just change your message uh, on innovation promotions and invest more to get wider reach or a different audience reach. And I think in between those three strategies, you probably have 80, 80% of it covered. For, for most brands, as long as you manage the promotion, don't go too deep and, and kind of do it the right way, you'll, you'll break through the clutter a little bit. We did a lot of testing initially. And when we first had our website and we first launched, we were doing some ads that, that didn't say free shipping, didn't say 15% off. It was just the ad, you know, ridiculously delicious. And then we had other ads that said 15% off. And at one point, we even raised the price because our price was a bit too low. So $30 with no discount versus $34 with 15% off. So which one do you think sold most? The second one. Yeah, by a lot. You know, we would get two orders a day on the no promotion on the website in Canada. And we would get 25 a day with the higher price and the 15% off. 
as you know, con- consumers are, are just, you know, human, human creatures wanting to get a good deal. And there's a lot of good deals. And then when you buy full price and it's a new product, you're, you know, you're not being rewarded that you're getting a good deal. So just, a, just you know, but you test your way with your brand and see what works. But promotions, innovation, and then uh, incremental reach are kind of three good strategies. Yeah, amazing. Just a curiosity question. Uh, like, have you ever launched uh, an offer which uh, gave like some free products from Love Good Fats and which ad uh, did work better? The discounted one, uh, the ad where you gave some discount or the one that uh, offered some free products? Yeah, well, you have to define what does better. What you have to define what does better. You know, at the end of the day, it's from a marketing perspective, a brand perspective, it's ROI. So it's your return on investment. So it's your net profit at the end. So um, I've had a lot of success as a marketer with sampling my entire career. I started at Procter and Gamble, and I went to Frito Lay, and I went to Heinz. And and sampling has been by far a driving tactic, so awareness and trial, and it's been trial of sampling. And in many, many occasions, you know, sampling like a full, a, a fuller box or a bigger size than a single unit has often had better ROI because you have a meaningful trial experience. Um, for us though, on the B2C, uh, because it's a full box, and because there's a lot of folks just looking for free product that may not be the right target, we've had success of sampling in shows and events. So we go to the Boston Marathon, we go to in-store demos, and we hand out, we go to retailers, you know, Costco and natural health food stores, and they can sample bits of our bars uh, or, or full bars sometimes. We used to do, not often, but now we're going to do more often, but we used to do full bars that does pretty well. It's still expensive and it still is not profitable that same day. But online, we haven't had as much success with just free because first of all, it's way more expensive. It's a box of four or a box of 12. And uh, second, you know, you just have a lot of people looking for free product, but they're not really the target, right? There's just so much free product online that there's these, they, they get free product, they resell it. So it's, uh, uh, we've moved away, you know, from free product online. We, I mean, if you have a product like we have, you can always sample in a box. So, you know, someone is buying a box from a Longos or Natural Market or a Spud.ca or Well.ca. Those are all good or Amazon. Those are all retailers that are great online. And then you put a free bar inside that that can do pretty well. But as long as the target is is right. And that's the magic with sampling is your ROI is direct directionally linked to your target. So if you have a good target and you spend, say, five dollars to sample when you include all the costs, then you can get a good return if the person opens a sample, tries the samples, converts to first purchase, converts to second purchase with repeat, and then goes on. But if you have a weak target, a weak targeting, on and with good targeting, you'll have thirty to fifty percent conversion. With weak targeting, you'll have two, one, two, three percent, and you're never going to pay that out. So it's more important to target right than anything else to get the ROI right. Yeah, and that's a live example of A/B testing, and I see how. Yep. Experimentation is so crucial uh, if you are in a marketing domain. Yep. Yeah. Uh, moving ahead, uh, do you remember who tasted the first bar from Love Good Fat and how the tasting process looked like? 
Oh my goodness. Well, I tasted every single first bars of Love Good Fats. We had 80 different recipes at one point with the first co-packer. So I would be the first one to take a bite of every single one. Then it was my daughter, then it was my son. Um, and then whoever I could drive over and drop some samples to. So I had three or four people that I would drop over some samples to like initially. Um, and then we went to a second co-packer because the first co-packer didn't work out. And then the same same idea, you know, the, the courier got to my door or in that case, I drove up to the plant. I sat in the parking lot then I sat in the waiting room and then I waited, waited, waited to get the, the bars. So I can pretty much say that, you know, Every single new bar made and uh, recipe tweak was me. Um, still to this day in my home, every Monday I get a courier with the production from the week before and I open the box and I test every single bar we made the week before just to make sure they're on spec. Yeah, that looks uh, uh, that looks incredible and that looks fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's good to taste uh, bars every Monday. <laughs> yeah, it is. A good start to, to the week. Yeah. Uh, moving ahead, here is a scenario analysis for you. Uh, how would you launch a, like, say, a vegan raffle, not a vegan bar, a uh, vegan keto bar, but a vegan raffle? What would be the essential things that you would uh, scrutinize before launching this vegan raffle? A vegan, a what? Raffle? What's yeah. the, what's the? It's raffle, W-A-F-F-L-E. Uh, it's the, what's that? that? Uh, it's what? like Kit Kat. Uh, it's, oh, a chocolate bar? Uh, yeah, kind of, but uh, it's not necessarily only chocolate. It's um, a, 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 like a crunchy thing in between. It could have chocolate cream or orange cream or strawberry cream, anything. Like oh. wafers. Wafers, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you want it to be vegan. Well, you know, the most important thing is that it tastes good. So there's a checklist of vegan. So you, you kind of, you write a product brief. That's always the first step. You have your brand positioning brief your insight, your benefit, your reasons to believe, um, your price. That's your brand positioning brief. And then you just look at what's written on the brand positioning brief, and then you write a product brief because they go hand in hand. The product brief gets more into technical specs. So if your brand positioning brief is, um, you know, Waffle is the first uh, vegan, um, delicious, uh, crisp, uh, that is made with only uh, only plant-based ingredients that taste great, that's uh, filling and available in five different flavors. So that would be an example of your brand positioning document, which I consider needs to be laminated. And then you look at that and then you kind of say, okay, well, now I'm going to go into more details because I'm going to call it a product brief. So you copy over most of the same words of your brand positioning, but then you add more information. So you say to your food designer, this is my brand positioning brief. It has to be delicious, like the benefit, the insight, the benefit, the reasons to believe. And then you, you go into more details. These ingredients are okay and they're not. So you have two columns, right? Like, okay, this is okay ingredients. This is not okay ingredients. Then you have your macronutrients. This is okay macronutrients. You know, so how many grams of fat, how many grams of protein, how many grams? These are not okay. Then you go into your certifications. I want these certifications, gluten-free, soy-free, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And these, I don't care, right? So you literally think through all the different things of your product, but it starts with your brand positioning. And then you write your product brief. Once you have your product brief written and you think it's perfect, you send it to uh, whoever is going to come up with the recipe. So sometimes it's, it's R&D. So it's R&D in a lab or R&D at a co-packer. 
And then, then they'll, you know, you jump on a call and then they'll, they'll ask you questions and then they'll go work on some options and then they'll, they'll come back and they'll say, okay, we have three different options for you to taste. And then you taste them, you give feedback, you always check back with your brief because often, you know, your different partners and agencies you work with, they can go off strategy. They can go off the brief. Mm -hmm. And your job is to keep everyone on the brief, on your brand positioning brief, on your product brief, on your PR brief, on your awareness and trial brief, on your digital brief. You, you bring everyone back to what the brand is all about and the tools you use to communicate with your partners is usually a brief. Yeah, and that's... Yeah. Well, yeah, I can understand why did you uh, say that you need to laminate the brand positioning and everything because yep. uh, in the process you forget and it's always good to go mm -hmm. back and be aligned with your mission yep. and vision. Yeah, when you when you start a company, you should write down, you know, the vision of the of the brand and the company, the mission of the brand and the company, and those can overlap, and then your brand positioning. And your brand positioning is, what is your compelling consumer insight? What is your benefit? So what does your brand stand for? What is the one thing your brand stands for? Then it's your reasons to believe that. And then it's your pricing strategy and your brand character. And those kind of six, seven, or eight things written down are the most important words uh, ever that you'll write for your company. More important than numbers, more important than marketing plans, more important than people plans, because your brand positioning will determine your, your brand and your brand is your company. Your company is your brand. So it all emanates like the center of the hub is the laminated brand positioning. Yeah. And I've, I've, yeah, I've found over the years, there's not enough of sweating. Every single word or period on the brief is sacred and important. So you spend time in making sure that those words are right because your brand positioning drives your strategies. Because you should, when you're trying to make a strategic decision, you read your brand positioning and then you look at the strategic decision and you say, do these match? And if they don't match, you don't pursue it. Or you may realize that your brand positioning is not tight enough or right enough. And then you have to change it. But you don't just go off strategy because you get excited about something. So it's yeah. really your guiding light. That was a deep answer. I think I'll uh, listen to this portion especially again and we'll make some notes because I think it's yeah. an evergreen uh, tip for for everything who is in business or who is freelancing. It, it applies to everyone who is into the uh, who is into business. Yep. And, you know, I wish I had a little bit more time, but if I if I were to give time and Emma, maybe make a note if I for the next uh, uh, Founders Fridays uh, video, but uh, the best piece of advice I have is to make sure that you have uh, invest time on on the brand positioning and uh, you have like a strong marketer or team there because it's really easy for for anyone but agencies that you know you you hire to just not that should just go off strategy and the way you keep them on strategy with your vision mission and your brand positioning is by having it written down and being clear as to what the words mean and the forces the choices how athletics has affected your entrepreneurial skills and uh, what last message would you like to give on this podcast as uh, an athlete so on the athletic side, I just, you know, coincidentally, I, I always had a lot of energy when I was younger and I would dabble in some sports. I probably did 10 different sports a little bit. Uh, so I was never, you know, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm older, I'm 54. So back then, you know, I would just do a little bit of everything. Uh, now, a lot of kids at a young age specialize in something, but I, I was doing a little bit of everything from badminton to basketball. I did a lot of, to running, um, I just dabble track and field. 
So, but I didn't really have a purpose on the athletic side other than trying to stay in shape. And, you know, I think everyone feels good when you have some oxygen flowing, uh, no, no matter what. So I think it was, that was just driving it. And then in my mid, my early twenties, I started working and uh, I put on uh, quite a bit of weight. Like for me, it was 20 pounds, you know, and I'm, I'm a small frame. So that, that was a lot. Uh, like it was three or four sizes in clothing as I was started my, my first job in Toronto. And, um, and I just, you know, was trying to use athletics to kind of manage my weight. And then I got on a low fat diet and, you know, I felt good, but I think it was more about, I need to work out four times this week. It was kind of a, a, a must, you know, a checklist. I, I, I don't drink too much wine, eat good foods, don't eat fats back, back then. And then, you know, work out like you kind of had that checklist in my early twenties, but it quickly came, became a passion. Like I discovered triathlon. So it went from, you know, just trying to have a checklist of doing things well, you know, saving money and all these other checklists we have in our twenties to like, wow, like I'm obsessed with triathlons. So it started with, with some running and then it went all the way with short triathlons and then Ironman. So it really became a lifestyle. So working out became a lifestyle. Triathlons became a lifestyle. I took a break when I had my daughter and then I came back in my forties. So I've done, you know, 11 Ironmans and it's really become, it became just part of who I am. You know, I wake up in the morning and I have one workout and maybe a second one that day. And then I have a race in August for, you know, 11 years in a row uh, or 11 years total. So, and, and, you know, on, on bad days, I still get up and I still ride with my cycling group. Uh, not anymore, but because of, because of COVID. But it just gave me like a purpose. It kept me motivated, and I had a goal. So it it's all been really key. And then um, and then it also forced me because I chose a sport that you're on a bike and and running for twelve hours. It forced me to understand nutrition way way more than anybody else. Because if you mess up, you know, in an Ironman triathlon. If you mess up your nutrition or your hydration, that's why you're going to fail to finish, not because you're undertrained, because nobody doesn't finish because they're undertrained. Everybody has gastric issues or tummy issues or nutrition issues, and, and, and that leads to, or, or injuries. So, um, so, you know, it's kind of played a key role that I've launched a product that fuel, fuels you longer, is better fuel for your body, you feel fuller longer, you perform better. So I had 20 years of consuming sugar when I was doing triathlons and now I'm going to spend the rest of my life saying, do not consume sugar. <laughs> so definitely some learnings there. Um, any, any last comments? You know, I, what I tell everybody is if you have a good idea, you know, share it, share it, share it, use LinkedIn, use all your tools, use your friends, and then just start, you know, when you're, you know, you're kind of good enough that you have enough feedback just start. Cause until you start, you know, making the product and selling the product, you haven't really started. And that's the hardest hurdle is to start. Once you kind of start, then you're like, oh, wait a minute, you learn, you learn, you get some tips, you get some money, you learn some more, you meet some more people. So just start, you know, take your idea and your product into the real selling world and put it out there and start. Yeah, that was a non-sugar-coated, wonderful wrap to this episode. And I'll take this advice and I like, it was a great feeling to have you uh, on the women's stories. Thanks a lot for coming onto this podcast in between your hectic schedule. And I hope that you also enjoy this conversation as much I did. If you like this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and family. Do tag me on your social media handles. Up till then, take care of yourselves and keep spreading love. I'll talk to you soon.